Welcome to this podcast to mark Pride Month as it celebrates its 50th year. My name is Joanna Aunion and I'm a director at Whittle and Diversity in Retail. And for those of you who don't know us already, we exist to support organisations to create inclusive cultures where anyone can thrive and reach their full potential. We have a mission to positively impact 6 million people from across both the HTL and retail sectors by 2025. For this podcast, we wanted to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Pride by looking through the lens of intersectionality. The term intersectionality was coined in 1989 by Professor Kimberley Crenshaw to describe how race, class, gender and other individual characteristics intersect with one another and overlap. To explore its importance in the context of Pride celebrations, I was joined by two fantastic panellists, Polly Shute, Head of Corporate Partnerships at Pink News and co-founder of Out and About, and Geoffrey Williams, Vice President and Global Head of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion for Burberry. During our discussion, we explore in more detail the concept of intersectionality, and Polly and Geoffrey very generously share many of their own lived experiences. We also discuss what organisations can do to understand the evolution of inclusion and the role intersectionality plays, and what they can do to keep ahead of the curve. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. Hi, Polly and Jeffrey. Thank you so much for joining me today and on our podcast to celebrate Pride, but with a real focus on the importance of intersectionality. Um, and there's lots to talk through, so we'll, we'll kind of jump straight in if that's okay. So, Polly, if I can come to you first, what does intersectionality mean for you? Very good question. Um, mm. Intersectionality means for me recognising that the LGBT community and people within it have lots of different facets to how they identify. So, for example, um, I do identify as a lesbian, but I also identify as an older lesbian. So um, I'll call myself someone that's over 50. Um, and I've got friends that may identify as a mum or a parent um, or may identify as coming from a different faith. And it's to me, it's recognising that um, because of that, you should be making sure that where possible your events um, are open to as many parts of the community as possible not just one part and that you're recognizing in the workplace that people don't just have one label well none of us have just one label but particularly when you're looking at minority communities um, often people will have two or three different labels that they feel very strongly about and others that are less dominant but for me it's it's recognized for companies, it's recognizing that, understanding that, and making sure that whenever they put on events, that they are, they can be as intersectional as possible. Brilliant, thank you, Polly. And Jeffrey, what, what does um, it mean to you? I think to me, um, it just, from a multitude of angles, is that we're all not the same. We've all come mm. from different life experiences. We've all have different journeys that bring us to the seats that we sit in. And it's that piece of, as an organization, um, you know, as you plan your event, you need to think about how you bring people in. How do you make sure everyone feels connected to what you're doing? And I think from a LGBT perspective, it's that piece of how do you make sure that your your ERGs or your networks or the you know activities that you're doing are really talking about the full spectrum of the community and not just I guess those that are the most vocal or most visible to you. Because I think sometimes that's where everyone goes. It's the visible voices, but the fight for equality, the work that has been done to create safe spaces for the community has been hard won by everyone. And I think mm -hmm. sometimes we, we look at it from one angle, 
So I think intersectionality is making sure that you are really understanding that literally every individual in your business is an individual and they need to experience your organization from their own perspective. And how much do you think, you know, the power of intersectionality helps to break down stereotypes? Because I think that's the, the piece, isn't it? Because, you know, if you're from the LGBTQ community, then, you know, there's a stereotype. You're from if a woman, you're a stereotype. You know, all these different things. Do, how much do you think that focus on intersectionality helps to break that down? I think it helps break it down because people start to learn about different communities and they start to see, oh, there's a similarity between, you know, Jeffrey and me because Jeffrey went to this school or Jeffrey's travelled here but then Jeffrey's different to me because he's part of the LGBT community. And then we have those, and I think people have those conversations. I think it's also that moment of us truly learning about the world. So when I've always worked in global organizations and the, the beauty of that is I've met colleagues in India that are now my, like one of my, some of my bestest friends, you know, different people from all around the world who bring their lived experiences to my experience and my insight and my knowledge. So now I can speak authentically on certain topics or I know who to reach out to, to to query things. So I think, you know, that's the gift of intersectionality in your organization. I think that's the gift of it in our societies. It's that piece of we learn from each other, we understand that not everybody has the same lived experience, and that's okay. Um, but what we can do is think about how we drive that then for our business agendas, for our marketing agendas, and for our overall story of our, of our brands and businesses. So for me, that's how I think it shifts stereotyping, it takes us on that journey and gets us to a space of understanding and acceptance. Lovely. Um, I, th I think at the end of the day, you know, if I take my own experience of intersectionality and, and coming, I came out later in life, so I came out when I was 41 um, and I, I didn't know a lot of people who identified as gay, let alone people who were from different sections of the community. And um, over the last, um, couple of years I've really wanted to know more about the trans community and the non-binary community and I think what it builds is uh, and, and I've worked on that and I think what it builds is a sense of empathy once you understand where someone else comes from and that you understand that our personalities let alone our gender and our sexual orientation are binary um, and it builds empathy and it builds understanding and and for me it it, it helps you get people and understand people more and understand where they're coming from, as, as Jeffrey spoke about their backgrounds, their experiences, and that whilst we're not all the same, the one thing that we can share is that we all want to feel a sense of belonging. And I think once you get to know people and you get to know um, different parts of the community and understand some of the different challenges they face, Jeffrey's absolutely right. Some of them you'll share, some of them you won't. But if you don't do that, you just you can't call yourself someone that supports the LGBT community as if if what you mean is you only support one section of it and you don't want to find out about other parts of the community however uncomfortable that can be sometimes so for, so, so for me it's it, it's it's really important and and I see so many I see people that don't always do that um, and they they kind of call themselves LGBT leaders or people that are supporting the LGBT community but if you're only stuck in one area of it and you're not willing to understand some of the others then I don't think you're making the impact that you could do yeah uh, can I just add one thing because there's something mm, you said I, I feel like there's a piece of it's okay to be uncomfortable like yeah. you know a lot of time when people talk, say to me oh I you know I can't come to this or I can't do this or I can't be in this space you can you're choosing not to because it makes you uncomfortable but however you know a lot of communities come into your organizations and they feel 
uncomfortable being in your business, feeling like they can't speak up, can't share their viewpoints. And I think it's that piece of, if you're really going to be an ally or really think about life from an intersectional viewpoint, is that piece of, that piece of it's okay to be uncomfortable, it's okay to show up and learn, it's okay to ask questions if you do it respectfully, because people generally answer your questions. Mm-hmm. It's just you have to come from a place of honesty and respect. And that's how you then generate insights and knowledge. Very true. Okay, thank you. And and if you don't mind, I would love to just get a sense, um, a little bit of your personal lived experience as well to bring this conversation. I, I think bring it to real life for people, exactly with that. If people are allies, don't really quite understand or you know feel uncomfortable with the topic, I think, it, you know, if you don't mind to share. So Polly, I know we, we've done lots of com- different conversations together. We've actually done articles together as well about the, you know, the, the, the voice of the LGBTQIA woman, because yeah. where, you know, you could argue it's a very male dominated narrative it's a very male dominated and and that voice is lost so talk just do you mind to just share with your personal experience but also your your knowledge and experience having worked in this space for so long yeah no I I guess you know I came out of 41 and I I didn't see a lot of women who looked and felt like me and that stopped me from coming out earlier I did see more gay men visibly in the workplace but I saw less women now that doesn't mean they didn't exist it just meant either I didn't see them or they weren't comfortable being out in the same way that that I was um so when I I guess when I did come out and I joined Pride in London quite soon after that and joined their board because I wanted to make a difference I really noticed that everything was quite male orientated not consciously most of the time it was quite subconsciously mainly because the board was predominantly men and that's when I left and and I um and I really wanted to do more for women and I think it can be hard sometimes. It's like, I will go to events a lot of the time and we talked about feeling uncomfortable. I will go to a lot of events where there's only a handful of women there. And it's really hard to walk into a room as a woman anyway, um, but it's really hard to walk into a room as a gay woman when you don't see anybody else, very many people like you and lots of men will congregate together in a pack again unconsciously you can't see this but I can see Jeffrey I'm smiling here and they're not doing it on purpose and they're not wanting to not talk to me but I have to go over and say hello and and kind of push my way into the group and it's it's a really horrible feeling and I've done it for 10 years now but I still get that gut wrench in my stomach of am I going to be accepted um when I go go over so for me it's been a kind of mission for especially for the last five years to try and create more spaces and more support for queer women because I know it stopped me coming out I know it definitely impacted me in my career because I didn't go to events and I didn't go to um, things because I knew I'd feel uncomfortable there so I've tried to kind of push it a lot more um, and get involved a lot more and try and represent the voice of the female in a lot of um, uh, a, a lot of the conversations that go on um, and use stats and I you, you know this because I'm an ex-marketeer I don't think you're ever an ex-marketeer but I'm an ex-marketeer I use a lot of data to do it and you know there's some been some data that's come out in the last few years that says you know 79% of women feel that queer men get more visibility um, in the public eye than they do and a lot of them feel invisible and I think the other one that I saw quite recently from Just Like Us, which really saddened me because this is young. These are young people, people aged between the ages of 14 and 24. It said that, you know, young women were delaying coming out by two years um, because of the negative associations with the word um, lesbian. So 
I guess my my mission in this, as well as trying to broaden my own education and be intersectional, is is represent that view of of women because I didn't I know it I know it stopped me from coming out and quite simply I don't want to see younger women putting off something that is so important that coming out moment that realization of who you are to other people by two years just because of some bad stereotypes that exist out there and and you know the conversations we've had in the past as well is that you don't come out once you know you're constantly coming coming you know and it's your choice and, and it, it isn't it and it's um and and this kind of focus and that allowing each time you would hope there is um you know it's easier if the, if the environment is there for it to let it happen as well it's not like just like a one time and, and forevermore is it so jeffrey i don't know if you want to no i was gonna i was just listening to polly and i was thinking actually i came out i guess to a group of friends in my well, 1920 and to my siblings um and a, little, a lot later on to my my parents but it was that piece of when I went into the corporate world for work I didn't tell anybody I was gay until gosh maybe seven eight years ago I think when I first moved into the DNI world and um so that's about 10 years now sorry <laughs> doing bad maths uh, when I when I moved <laughs> into the space fast. I had it has when I when I moved in it was kind of like one of my uh mentors at the time she kind of said to me you know if you're going to do this work properly you're going to have to think about how you talk about all of you and I know there's a there's a big part of you that you do hide um and you know I'm not telling you you have to come out to everybody but you might it might be easier for you to do some of this work if you're just living you know being the true authentic you and that enabled me to to show up slightly different in the work I was doing and the conversations I was having but I think it is a hard piece because it's so many there's so many things to who I am you meet me and I'm a black man so then there's a there's an expectation and an assumption there then you know add gay I've got a disability I'm a parent there's just so many different facets to who I am and I think sometimes it's that piece of people assume things of you culturally they assume they know you based on mm -hmm. you know different experiences and sometimes talking to the events that Polly is speaking about I would go and I'd also feel like I'm not in the inner circle you know people are having conversations and sometimes I'm like this is not even a work conversation that you're having right now um so is this the do I really want to be here so it's kind of finding trying to find your, your space I was lucky that I found a group of friends and you know we were able to be our own little community and do things together and and create moments to network amongst each other but I know that everyone doesn't have that so it's mm -hmm. you know when you're thinking about your ERG or any other bigger thing that you're doing for the community how are you making sure that you are fully representing everyone that needs a voice and needs a seat at the table and and if you don't mind to share Jeff because you know we've had we've had previous conversations about your experience as a black man in the LGBTQ community as well uh -huh. and uh, and the lay you know the, the just different experience yeah. because of that oh gosh yeah um I think you know I think when we were speaking I said to you not so much now um but I know when I first kind of came out and I think the most there was there was there's two things that happened so I'll I'll share one so I remember I was working in the music industry at the time and a friend of ours a friend of mine was dating someone he was a dj he was playing in a in a club in manchester and he was like hey come down i'm doing a set i'll put you guys on the guest list um we were like yeah cool so we you know all got in a car drove from london to manchester for how many hours checked into our hotel 
uh, you know, got ready, went to the venue. And when we got there, the guy was like, oh, no, it's members only tonight, guys. And we were like, yeah, we know. Um, we've been put on the guest list. We're friends with, you know, the DJ. Blah, blah, blah. He was like, OK, no, I don't think you're down. Yeah, no. And we were like, uh, OK. Um, so and we kept trying to explain our case because obviously we'd been invited. We'd driven all this way for a reason. Just wouldn't let us in. Um, and at the time, it was really kind of like annoying and frustrating because it's kind of like that piece of one, is my money not good enough? Two, am I not good enough? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think the funny thing is we didn't necessarily initially think about it from a racial perspective. We were definitely thinking, oh, well, maybe we needed to be members. How can we become a member? You know, we we're asking them at the door that we're having that conversation. And he was kind of like, nope, nope, nope. So we didn't get in there. And I think the other experience was going somewhere in London and being again with my group of friends and being asked to kiss each other to prove that we were gay to get into the venue. Um, hopefully things are not like that now. I, I don't go out as much, so I don't know. But, you know, that then doesn't make you feel welcome, doesn't feel mm-hmm. like you're really a part of anything. Um, and, you know, it kind of removes you from certain spaces because suddenly you're not welcome because of how you present, um, you know, quote unquote too masculine I don't think I'm, I don't think I am but it was quite funny that's the reason why um and I think that's that's a journey within itself because then you have to realize actually are these spaces for me are they really inviting me here where do I go and then again as I said you have to create your own spaces you have to create your own events your own moments but I feel like it's we shouldn't have to go off and create our own things we should be invited in we should be able to go anywhere that we want if we're part of the community but you know over the years it hasn't always been like that for me and uh, thank you for sharing that, Jeffrey. I really appreciate it. And I think when we come to talk about how, in, you know, employers and organisations can make that environment as welcoming as possible for, you know, really taking into that intersectionality, we'll just we'll come back to those thoughts if that's okay. Mm-hmm. And I saw you nodding furiously, Polly, as as Jeffrey was yeah, uh, I, was talking. And I I think while things have got better, I was nodding because I was agreeing with him about that kind of you feel like you can't get on the guest list and you're not completely included and there are times when you're abundantly reminded of that and I was going to give two kind of cases one was I went to an awards dinner for a a very male orientated um, LGBT magazine and they invited me because they wanted to get some more females to attend and um, I felt uncomfortable most of the evening because most of the women who were there were not queer they you know and but I went because I was I was part of the board of pride and at the end they gave me a goodie bag so that's the thing you leave with right you take it away and you look at it and I opened it up as I was there and everything in there was for men there was um a man's scarf a man's baseball cap a man's t-shirt a man's aftershave and a packet of condoms and I turned around to the person at the desk and said this isn't really for me is it but I've come along you've invited me and their response was well you can give it to a guy you know and so I kind of my experience there was just I don't feel wanted I don't feel included I've been invited but I'm obviously not needed there and my my second one is more actually to do with different parts of the community so whilst I absolutely appreciate you know as a as particularly as a cis white woman there are more places I can go in I ran a festival this weekend and we were very clear in the marketing of the festival that it was open to trans women and those who are non-binary and every time I went on Twitter which wasn't too bad on Facebook and LinkedIn but every one time I went on Twitter and announced that the abuse I got for including trans women at a women's festival was awful um, and 
but what was really interesting is how many trans women personally rang me up even though they know me and they know I'm a director of the trans in the city to ask me if it was safe not not if they were able to come and it would be fun but if it was safe for them to come to my event and that made me really realize that even though things have got better and as as Jeffrey said hopefully the, the kind of being singled out and not allowed into a club because of who you are because your money's not good enough shouldn't still exist for certain parts of the community and particularly the trans and non-binary community I was absolutely saddened that they still feel the need to double check and treble check events to make sure that they can come to them and that not just that they'll enjoy it but actually that they won't that they'll be safe and to me that's that was really hammered home last weekend and made me feel very sad and we're going to touch on evolution aren't we and just continually looking to to reassess what we mean by inclusion and to reassess what we mean by you know you know a creating an environment that is accessible to all and um but just before we do that if that's okay jeffrey i just i also wanted to if you don't mind again to share that you're you're a dad mm-hmm. you have a little yep. boy yeah um and again from an intersectionality lens you know how do you mind to share you know how that experience has been and and kind of your thoughts so i guess what i've learned <laughs> in the yeah. two and a half years i've been a dad is that um <laughs> Peppa Pig doesn't exist outside of France. He's only allowed to watch that with his grandparents in France. Okay, He's not allowed right. to watch it here. Um, <laughs> um, so that parenting is so gendered and it's, and it's very binary. And um, that's been, I guess, not the shock, because I guess I knew that, but I guess it's, it's, until you're experiencing it, you don't understand the reality of it. So, um, you know, we, it's just those weird moments where you're, we're all out together and someone will not speak to my husband. They'll speak to me about my son and they'll kind of direct all the conversation to me. Or if we're all out together or, you know, people are going to be like, oh, so you're out with daddy and daddy's friend. <laughs> like, yeah. it's my husband. We're together. It's his, it's his papa. Um, and just how people communicate. And I think as well for my husband, the, the challenge. So our, our son is black and my husband's white. And so he'll get people saying, oh, are you the nanny? Or, you know, mm-hmm. who's looking after his child and, and be kind of putting their head up and looking around. And, it, and I think the thing that I realised was that parenting is a little bit like the TV show or quite a lot like the TV show Motherland. And that is the experience that you have when you go to the park with your child and you have these, yeah. you know, yummy mummies that are really mean. They're like bullying teenagers. I personally just like to wind them up and say things to them to annoy them. But my husband's a lot nicer and he's kind of like, well, you know, he has to hang out with them. So he's not going to do that. But I do find it is a challenge. And I think people need to start thinking about the fact that not every child is always going to have a, you know, mum and a dad. And that not because one of their parents is gay. People unfortunately pass away. Things happen. Families are different now. And people are not looking at it in that perspective at all. It's very, it's very, very binary. It's very challenging. And, you know, even the simple thing of, uh, you know, titles that we've given ourselves. So I'm daddy, my husband's papa. I'm currently at my son's nursery. They just keep mixing them up. And I'm like, one's French, one's English. Daddy's English, papa's French. Easy. For some reason, they can't get it right. So I think it's all those things as well. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to be a parent, but it's a challenging one being an LGBT parent sometimes. 
And I think that I think you're right. I think even beyond that, I think it's challenging if you're a man who wants to play a more active role in your child's life as well, you know. And I think and, it depends. I'd say that that depends because I think it's difficult when you're doing it in the workspace because people are like, mm-hmm. why are you doing that? Isn't your wife going to do something? Or in our case, oh, don't you have a nanny to do that for you? Um, and I, I think it's that piece of people expect you to be like, oh, I'm going to go to the sports day, but they don't expect you to be, oh, I'm going to go and do a school run and pick up and drop off or, or I need to stay at home because the child's sick. Um, mm-hmm. Thankfully, where I'm working right now, that's, there's a different culture to that. So people are a lot more open around parenting. But I think um, it's that weird thing of people assume that it's the mother that's going to do everything. And if you do have an equal balanced marriage and relationship around the kids it is frowned upon but I I think it's evolving I think yesterday was Father's Day and all the commentary that I was seeing on my timeline was fantastic of fathers sharing emotional things about becoming a parent the you know one someone was talking about you know the trauma of seeing their child being born and how it affected him and how great he is in the place he is right now and so I think the conversation is evolving and I hope in five years we can all have a very different conversation but I think again just like we were just saying earlier on, it's the evolution of everyone's identities and people's understanding. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the next generation definitely want to be more present to every aspect of their lives than just waking up and going to work. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that point it moves us lovely. Thank you, Jeffrey. It moves us brilliantly onto the to the topic of this evolution. So that, you know, as you say, we have we say these things, you know, in five years' time we hope that X is is Y, but that it, it happens over that progress of time. And Polly, you know, being an employer, let's say, it can be quite tough to keep on top of how things evolve, how things change, how you know, thoughts about how you know, companies, managers, leaders can rebase, can understand what's, you know, so that they can help support their employees a little bit more. Yeah, it, it is. It's a it's a complex world and we all have multiple identities and, and more often than not, now we're talking about our multiple identities in a way that we never would have before. But it is really important for employers to keep on top of it. And 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 I think there's a lot of research that comes out. Uh, you know, I when I, I do a lot of talks on um, and I've certainly been doing a lot this year on Pride. And one of the stats that I use a lot was done by the Trevor Foundation, where it talks about um, young people and how they consider themselves um, in terms of their their um, gender orientation. And, and what was interesting to me is that 46% of young people, this was a survey done with 30,000 people, said that they consider themselves either non-binary or questioning non-binary. And what I say to companies now is you may personally feel that as being uncomfortable. So if you're in your 50s and you're a cis white man and you have quite a close circle around you, and that, you know, for loads of different reasons, that tends to be the senior people in our companies, mm-hmm. they may turn around and go, yeah, but that's crap because I don't know anybody non-binary and I don't know anybody trans and I don't believe those stats. But those stats are true. And unless companies, that's just one example of it, is unless you start accommodating your workforce to understand that in five to 10 years time or even less some of those young people are going to want to join you and you are going to lose out on that talent unless you adapt um not just physically adapt but mentally adapt to it you're, you're just not going to get them um and you're not going to get that talent and and then other people will leave as a result of that so i kind of press the financial reasons and the business reasons for doing it but also from a moral piece no moral point of view a lot of us will end up being parents or grandparents or, in my case, 
probably more like a, an auntie. And we have to relate to these people in daily life. Um, mm. And we have to understand that the world is changing and whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, it's still going to change and you have to keep up with it. And, and I think that I think sometimes when I speak to employers and I speak to the senior teams, it's that lack of understanding and empathy because they just don't know people like that. Um, which stops them from moving forward because they just don't see it. And so I always say, you know, read books, watch films. Heartstopper, I think, has been a, a film in the last couple of months that has really helped people understand this changing youth that mm. are just less binary about how they identify themselves. But I think it is about keeping in touch and, and not just through your ERG groups or not just getting research or not just reading reports that come out. But I think senior executives have a personal responsibility to get closer to um, understanding intersectionality and, and, and the way people are now. And that to me is probably one of the most important points. This isn't something you delegate to an ERG or your HR team. This is something that as a senior manager, you live by. And whether that's reverse mentoring, that whether that's being present at talks, whether that's keeping up and watching films I, I think it's so important that companies keep on top of this not just about LGBTQ but about faith about ethnicity and I know that's challenging and I know it's a lot of extra work on top of all the other things they mm. do but I keep going back to the number one business skill that people are looking for from leaders now is empathy and you can't have empathy without understanding no, thank you, Polly. And I think we've spoken uh, always in our, our kind of our pre-podcast conversations. We were having a great conversation, weren't we, on this? And I had, we had to stop it so that we didn't <laughs> kind of go too much and we didn't save it for the podcast. But but Jeffrey, you spoke a lot about the empathy piece and you know and this importance of that listening. You know, but particularly when we think about intersectionality mm. and you know the different facets that make up a person's. Some employers and managers go, I just don't know what. You know, what do I do? How do I do it? Well, I think I think it's that piece of oh, it's not my problem. It's it's your problem. Um, so I I, I think you know. Obviously, I work in this space, so I spend a lot of time kind of dissecting and and thinking about what should what should I be doing to help you know the organisations that I'm working for. And for me, I think it's that piece of it has to become, you know, business as usual. It has to become part of your culture. Um, it can't be something that's on the side for you to think about including people in your teams. And I think the thing I always say to everyone is that piece of, okay, so we all work together and, you know, different people join your team. And the question is, do you adapt to welcome them or do they have to adapt to join your team? And we want to have the piece where, you know, your team adapts to welcome someone in. So whether that's learning the fact that someone's a parent and that means they may need to work differently and not penalising them for that, but also respecting that, that someone might be from the LGBT community and that, you know, they may not want to talk much, as much about their personal life when you first meet them, but that might be something that, you know, shows up a little bit later on. And I think culturally, you know, when you think about being a leader, it is that piece of having a 360 uh, viewpoint of what's going on in the world and I think a lot of the people that I've worked with kind of I guess found their voice on different subjects when it's been really personal so suddenly you know their daughter's a teenager about to do an internship and someone says something to her at that internship that's abhorrent and then it's like oh I need to change this for my business because you know my daughter's yeah. experienced this and I think sometimes it's that piece of hey let's do it before you your child is of age to experience something let's think about what we can do collectively to create those cult the culture that is really accepting of people's experiences that then is able to educate people from around the world because work is this weird place where we all go <laughs> unless we work for ourselves and even then you're still creating this environment 
where everyone assumes that you know everything that you need to know because you're an adult, you've been to university, you've got your degree, your PhD, your mod, whatever it is. But effectively, we're always constant learning. And I think, you know, this subject, this space is it is about constant learning. It's about that evolution. It's about that willingness to be like, actually, I'm going to show up to the Black Employee Network event, even though I am a cis, you know, white man, because I need to know about this. I need to know that these are actually some of our consumers. Um, these are people that work in my organization. And I need to make sure that they're having the, the right experience. And yes, it might be uncomfortable to discuss racism or to discuss bigotry, but it's the reality of our world. So let's embrace that. Let's think about how I can change it. And, you know, as I said, you know, my point earlier on about five years, some of these subjects we've been talking about for hundreds, um, you know, so how are we going to get to a point where we're not having the same conversations in a hundred yeah. years around gender, that we're not having the mm -hmm. same conversation around race or LGBT inclusion, or even the thing that we don't talk about, disability and accessibility, like how are we going to move forward? And I think that is the important part. That's why it needs to be a part of your culture um, and not something that is just a tick box at, the, at a point um, where it's important. So not just Pride Month, it's all year round that you're talking about inclusion and those things. Definitely. Well, I think, you know, we touched on it. I can't remember if we touched on it in the pre-record -re pre or this about getting, <laughs> I always talk to people about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and I've learned to do that. I've learned to, put myself in situations where I feel incredibly uncomfortable even as someone who's been working in this sphere for the last um 10 years but it, it after a while you don't you know the first yeah. mm -hmm. it, it's like anything you do in life every everything you do that's different and that's out of your own norm feels uncomfortable but once you start getting in there you learn different things and 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 it becomes more comfortable and it it then becomes you know less unusual to you and and I think that's a big lesson that I've learned personally as well as professionally that sometimes you just as leaders have to put yourself in situations of other people um, and you have to understand what they're going through in order to drive that change and Jeffrey you eloquently talked about trying to do that before it becomes personal to you. Mm -hmm. um, I used to work in the charity sector and it's well it's well documented that people give more to a cause or are more likely to, to support a cause when someone they know has been impacted from it. But this is about actually before it impacts you, go and find someone, go and talk to someone who comes from a different background to you, um, whether that's because they're a parent, um, whether that's because they have a different ethnic background or whether their gender or sexual orientation is different to yours and just have a chat with them. And most time, as long as you ask in the right way and your intent is good, people will be happy to have a conversation with you. But you know, if you're not prepared to do that, if you're not prepared to be uncomfortable and you're not prepared mm. to get it wrong sometimes, there's no way you'll move forward in this sphere as a manager. And I, I think that also holds people back. Um, I know a lot of senior managers I speak to are like, I really want to get involved. I really want to make a difference, but I don't want to get it wrong. We're happy to accept in business that sometimes it's fine to make mistakes and learn from them. And this is a big part of business and, and as Jeffrey said it should be part of business as usual you are going to get things wrong here yeah that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go into them with good intent and then learn afterwards yeah and, and I think um ex example I can think of as Polly was speaking was I before I started working in DNI, I actually went to a women's event at the organization I was working for and I was the only man in the room and I remember being like, oh, my God, why, why did I come to this thing? Because my boss at the time was like, hey, come to this event. It's going to be really interesting. 
And I was like, why am I sitting here? I'm like the only guy. Oh my gosh, is this? And the, the funny thought I had, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. The funny thought I was like, is this good for my career to be sitting here? Like, hmm. And I kind of looked around the room and then the conversation started. And I have to say, it was the, one of the most informative conversations I, I had been a part of to date. In the sense of it made me reflect on myself. It made me reflect on my sisters. It made me reflect on my mum's career. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, actually, there's so, there's so many blockers. Oh, my gosh, this is fascinating. And then suddenly I started to think about it in the work that I was doing day to day. I was working in talent at the time. And then I started to reflect on, actually, this talent conversation is so gendered. Oh, my gosh, how do I change that? And then started to do more work there. And I think that's what you, when you go to those events, you have those moments to reflect. And it does apply back to your day-to-day work regardless of you know what industry you're in or what sector you're in there's always a, a key learning that you can take it back and make a change where you work and I'd say definitely lean into that to do that and I'm just conscious that we're we're, we're coming to our time and we could talk about this all day but <laughs> I, I also you know one of the you know sometimes it's just simple exercises isn't it like the circle of trust exercise where you you basically write down you know be up to up to 10 people that you really trust in a work capacity, personal capacity, and then you layer and say, how many of them look like me, sound like me, share my faith, share my sexual orientation. And that is such a powerful, but simple exercise as well that anyone can do, isn't it? Anyone time to have that self-reflection and and going forward. But um, I think in terms of of coming to a close, I think we've covered a huge amount of ground in in a short space of time. Just some final thoughts, I think, particularly through the lens of intersectionality, just to to help individuals, leaders, employers think about that intersectional lens. Polly? I think um, we've been through a difficult two years and the world has changed uh, immeasurably. um, And... I think intersectionality, I've seen the growth of intersectionality of people, you know, for example, being a lot more open about talking about their mental health Mm -hmm. as well as other areas. So I think it is understanding that that change has happened and rebasing, don't using the same diversity and inclusion strategies that you had in 2019. You know, they don't exist. Some parts of them will, but just keep rebasing, keep relooking. And keep understanding which parts of the community need your support and when, because news stories can break. We talked about certain trans news stories breaking and really upsetting parts of that community. So it is about being closer to what's happening and continuously rebasing. This is not a this is a fluid LGBT community in more senses than one. And it's just um, not just in terms of LGBT, but other parts of uh, the minority communities. It really is rebasing re-understanding and and trying to keep on top of it knowing that you'll never get it all right because you won't but at least you are on a journey to, to to keep re-looking so for me it is that kind of rebasing understanding what that, that certain parts of the community need more support than others um, and just as we talked about and you know getting comfortable with being uncomfortable lovely thank you Polly Jeffrey um, I definitely agree with, you know, being okay with being uncomfortable, like just getting used to that and accepting. And I think the piece around the world changing is also relevant because I think, you know, we sat through two years of us all having to work at home and having to kind of sometimes some people really reflect on our lives and what made us happy and what, you know, doesn't make us happy. But I think when it comes to this conversation of intersectionality, it's that piece of, even if someone isn't being vocal and jumping up and down in your organization, mm-hmm. they are there. 
and they deserve to be seen. So I think when you're planning your events, when you're thinking about creating your ERGs, when you're thinking about what it means to be a leader and how you celebrate and reward your leaders, they need to be thinking intersectionality in, from an intersectional standpoint. They need to be able to build teams that have trust, that have respect. And I think as organizations, we need to be in a place to, to value that and to celebrate that fact. Um, so as you look at your talent review processes, how are you actually celebrating the leaders that are having those conversations, those leaders that are engaging with your ERGs, those leaders that are asking the question around, what are we doing for Pride Month? Like, how are you recognizing and, and supporting those? And I think as well, as you bring people up through the organization, how are you making sure that they are also thinking about this as a business driver and not something that's nice to do? Um, you know, we, we, move for, we move forward in leaps and bounds in a lot of these conversations from where we, are, where we were pre-pandemic um, to where we are now. Um, and for me, as someone that works in this space, it's phenomenal. But it's that piece of it still needs so many leaders and individuals to take up and to kind of drive it forward so that it's not seen as something that Jeffrey and his team owns. It's mm. now this is how we run our organization. We run our organization with respect, with trust and with, inter in, with integrations of all individuals that work here. And I think that's where we need to get to. And that's why I implore everyone to kind of think about. Perfect. Thank you. Um, sadly, we have come to the end of our time. It's been such a great discussion. Thank you so much for taking the time to come join me today and to talk on, on this topic. Um, it's just been so insightful and so powerful, and I really appreciate it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's lovely to meet you, Jeffrey. Lovely to meet you too, Polly. <laughs> I'm sure you agree that was an insightful and personal discussion and I hope you enjoyed it. I really appreciated Polly and Jeffrey sharing their time, thoughts and insights in our conversation. Thank you for listening and if you're interested in the work we do at Whittle and Diversity in Retail and would like to find out more, please visit our websites wihtl.com and diversityinretail.com or follow us on LinkedIn.